And we are super psyched to welcome our newest sponsor, Thunder Road Guitars. Thunder Road Guitars is the Pacific Northwest best source for premium, new, used, and vintage guitars, amplifiers, and pedals. Online or in their Seattle, that's West Seattle, or Portland stores. You'll find fantastic customer service and a terrific vibe. I know because I'm in there a lot. Grab a cup of coffee, swing on in, don't spill your coffee, and check it all out. And now if you use code TOURSTORIES10, you can get 10% off at thunderroadguitars.com. Yes, that's me playing guitar. Hello, big news from our friends over at DistroKid. They now have an app. This app works on iOS and Android, of course. And it's available in the Apple Store and Google Play Stores and all the stores where you buy apps. Go check it out. It's got a lot of cool features. You can upload new releases. You can get notified when you've earned royalties. Awesome. You can withdraw from the app via push notifications. A little dangerous for me, but rad. Anyways, go check it out. It's all at distrokid.com app. And don't forget, you can still get 30% off your DistroKid account by going to distrokid.com slash VIP slash tour stories. Have a great one. And we continue to celebrate our friends and partners over at Isotope. And we got some big news for you. The gold standard of audio repair, RX-11, is coming in May. In the meantime, you can buy RX-10 now on sale and get RX-11 absolutely free when it's released. Tour Story listeners get 10% off by using code FRET10. That's F-R-E-T-1-0. All at isotope.com. That's I-Z-O-T-O-P-E dot com. John, Ed, hi. Hi. <laughs> How you guys doing? Uh, we're good. I'm good. I don't know about Ed. Are you good, Ed? Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> cool. They just started, so who, there's could be tons of catastrophes ahead but right yeah i i I made it out of bed and to the desk without without falling or anything so good day okay where are you i'm in portland oregon oh we're really close to each other um okay john where are you and i live in minneapolis the minnesota minneapolis where you're out cold you're out colding us though it's pretty cold for me and ed right yeah for us west coasties yeah, it it's uh, it, we're out icing you too. It's it's mm. sheer ice outside right now. No one's even doing anything. I actually, Ed, you said you you hadn't fallen or anything yet. I have fallen so far. Today. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> but I'm fine. <laughs> Good. Um, did you guys grow up together? No. no. Um. So at, at, we met in Minneapolis in when Ed like I think ninety. I want to say like ninety five, maybe. Okay. Or something but we're, we're both from wisconsin but we both ended up in after high school we both ended up moving to minneapolis so that's oh, okay so, we, so you spent your formative years together oh yeah, yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. and yeah. what were you guys doing when you started going to shows what were you watching listening to practicing guitar to i mean i moved to minneapolis primarily for music and i spent the first several years there not really having people to play with and struggling to find people to play with and kind of, I felt like I didn't really 
relate to a lot of the stuff that was going on. So, so when I met Ed and Chad, who was also from Ed grew up with him, um, we started playing music together and that was the, the big bang moment for me Yeah, <laughs> and kind of changed everything. So you were playing together in a band? Yeah, we had a couple bands together. We, oh, okay. um, we first started a, a band called Gorge Trio, um, which uh, was a, tr a trio. And then um, we had another band called Colossamite. Oh, right. So what would you say were your biggest influences back then? At the beginning, it was kind of like I, I was uh, interested in music that was incredibly like confusing and anything like new to me. I grew up in, in Waukesha, Wisconsin, and, uh, you know, this was pre-internet and everything, but barely because I'm really young, you know. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, but um, I actually discovered a lot of music through books. I got a book on John Cage. Oh, wow. You know, when I was like an early teen, everybody that he mentioned, I, I looked them up, never heard any of his music, couldn't find any of it anywhere. Then it was, at some point it was like I read a, uh, a magazine where somebody talked about like how King Crimson was an overwhelming feeling of evil. And so I found a King mm -hmm. Crimson album and then I was reading something else. And it was like somebody it was just like it was that that thing of like reading liner notes or, or something and somebody mentioning like like uh AACM, you know, in a, in a guitar magazine or something like that. And then yeah. finding, like, oh, Richard Abrams, Anthony Braxton, you know, like all yeah. these things. It was just like hearing names for a long time before I actually could track down one album. And, you know, like, right. and, and it was always a thing where it would be like, I would find, you know, I'd hear about Miles Davis and then go to the record store and find like, you know, you're under arrest or something in the 99 yeah. cent. Like, I would, yeah. like, you'd always find like the worst example. That of was the best 99 cent Miles Davis record. <laughs> that was I everywhere. Had I had the compact disc. Yeah. But it was, for me, it was like this, this process of like, you know, sort of prog into, into free jazz, into improvised music. And, and then, um, yeah, I met, I went, I went to Minneapolis. I, I knew I didn't want to go that I just wanted to be a musician. So in Minneapolis, this this tech school, like their version of GIT, like, um, and all these things had just started, which mm -hmm. was called Music Tech. And it was just like, a you what know, a tech cool school, name. but it was, it was horrible. It was, a, I didn't even make it through the year. But by going there, I met John, and then he mentioned our friend Chad. And it was like, all of a sudden, this instant community of like, you know, we were all sort of doing that exact same thing of like, oh, have you heard about this? Have you heard about this? And, yeah. da, da, da. and we were just showing each other things. And like, I remember John and I first discovered like the whole concept of like improvised guitar at that moment. So we were just hearing like, even though it was, you know, already the nineties and stuff was happening, it seemed like we were, the stuff we were finding was like the first examples of it, you know, like Fred Frith and, you know, Donald Miller, all these sort of new approaches to guitar. And he and I would just get together and like improvise, probably <laughs> like just really basic beginner improvisation, just trying to figure out like, like oh, the you know you know if you you can scratch a guitar like this, you can do that. Just getting more into like sound sort of things. And then you know um, the drummer that he spoke of, Chad, like we he and I lived in a house together, and like we could all just get together and just it was like every little thing. Like somebody would read a book on like oh graphic notation and we would just get together the next day and we'd try that we'd we'd yeah. we'd, uh, we'd see an article on somebody doing directed improvisations we'd get together the next day and do that i'd read a story about some about like some people in the 60s like getting together and playing like paintings and all these things we'd get together the next day and we'd do that so it was right. like this it was like great having this thing of like ultra small group of people but all like kind of at the exact same moment in the same page and it was a, a thing where it was like you know, so, sometimes you, you'll play with people and you'll be like, let's try this. And they'll go, why? 
you know, like that doesn't make any sense. And this, and it was like so completely life altering and, and, and yeah, you know, just to be with people that were like, yeah, that sounds great. Let's try it. Let's try it. You know, sure. <laughs> let's do anything. And we yeah. started experimenting with recording at the same time too. Yeah. And, um, I mean, we, it was pretty cool. Like we, I don't even remember how we did it, but we, um, I remember like getting a, I think we rented a dat machine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then we, um, set up mics through a mixer and then just recorded into like the stereo dat, right? channel mixer, something like huge in our living room. We like, yeah. none of us knew how to run a, like plug a mic <laughs> in at that point. Yeah. <laughs> and we were playing house shows like, you know, Ed and Chad lived near the university and like we had some friends who kind of lived near there and it'd be like, you know, the Friday night, like party and we would go play. Right. And I don't, I mean, <laughs> I don't know how, I don't really understand how that worked, but yeah, really just, just completely like, improvised, like noise kind of stuff. I mean, whatever, maybe it was cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, maybe they, maybe they liked it, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess, yeah. I mean, this isn't uh, uh, breaking news or anything, but you know, you talk about that and it reminds me that, the pre-internet journey to experiencing something or learning something or trying something, you know, for at least Ed, it started with reading. So it was kind of an intellectual thing. And then you applied it to yeah. an actual audio thing. Now, if you wanted to do anything, John Cage, or learn anything, yeah. you could get it all. And um, it yeah. it's not good or bad, but the journey is... It's different. It's different. I think there's yeah. good things about it where... You don't know you don't know what the fuck you're doing for yeah. a, a lot longer but then yeah. that's when you, you know you make yeah, things yeah. totally I, I i very much had that that experience as well and i had i mean the same with the cage for me where it was like i was reading about the stuff not knowing what he was talking about but it was simply about the ideas that i would get really excited about and it was like same with reading like i got a subscription to the wire at that time and like yeah just reading right. reviews and like and i didn't have a access to hear the music or yeah. it was like you know difficult or expensive or whatever so it was just simply in your imagination it's like oh that sounds so amazing you know and a lot of times you know later you'd hear it and you're like hey it's fine yeah right but I like know. the i the, the <laughs> picture in your mind was fantastic you know yeah yeah it's a it's a, a nice extra step i think without sounding like a old geezer but um it is a very different thing it it, it yeah. really is i mean it, they, they end up with different results i mean i in a way i kind of feel like I came from a time where it was, um, as we said, like a lot of stuff was was kind of like unknown and, and and really often like your only representation of a certain artist or something might be one album. And then you listen to that album for a year and you know, yeah, yeah. And it's like and you kind of get into a different way. And 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 like certain things happen like that. Um, it's I don't think it's better or worse because, um, you know, I think a lot of what happens now is kind of like. You know, dur during the '90s, there was a big, um, you know, a lot of the a lot of the Japanese bands were really, you know, uh, you know, Ruins, Ground Zero, uh, mm -hmm. uh, Altered State, like Boredoms, all these things. And I think what was exciting to a, a lot of Americans about that music was that it wasn't it wasn't tied to a tradition. It was just this information taken at face value, and it wasn't like there was no history behind it. It was just like sure. hearing rock music, and this is what this is what it means to me. And I feel like that, you know. That's kind of what's happening now, where it's a thing where it's like, you know, we have people all the time that that like young kids come up to it sh at shows and they're just like, did you know Nirvana? Were you friends with Nirvana? You know, like mm -hmm. these kind of things. Where it's like, yeah, like it's all the same. It, it's not tied to this thing. And and you know, because of it, I think some amazing things can happen because it isn't tied to it. You know, there's there there's 
you know, different outcomes for all this stuff. And, and uh, you know, I think, I, think, I think the tendency of a lot of people in the age group of, of Deerhoof tend to be like, oh, it was so much better back then. And everything yeah. is like, it's just completely different. And, and this different magical thing is happening. But, you know, for, for me, I feel like just the importance of having like even one other person with me on this trip, you know, like to, that, that, that just made me feel not crazy. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and that you sure. could share all of this with. And it's just like how important that, you know, um, and, uh, and that was the thing, like meeting John, you know, John, like had a totally different background, liked totally different music at, at that time that we met, we both were discovering stuff and we started going in line a little bit more, but our backgrounds were so different, but it was like a thing where I could sit down with John and show him like a, you know, a minute long non-repeating guitar part. And he would just look at me for a while and just like, <laughs> and like everything made, like somehow we created this language and, and this level of trust that it was like, you know, um, this still happens where one of us would write something and, and, and like, like the other person might go, well, I don't, I don't really like it. Or I don't think there's anything there, but I trust you. You've, you've had such a good track record. Let's keep working on it. And then after you do that for a while, all of a sudden it's like, oh, I see what you're, where you're coming from and everything clicks. And it's like, now I can see through your eyes and I see what you were trying to do. And it's just like right. having somebody with me my whole life. That's just like, all right, I don't know what's going on, you know, and supporting it. That meant, more to me than any other influence or anything that ever happened, you know? Yeah, that's an important relationship, yeah. to say the least. <laughs> yeah, totally. What What do you think would be the most surprising to someone if you described your polar opposite influences? It's like an example would be, for me, Steve Reich and Michael Jackson. <laughs> right, right, right. You know? Um, that's hard. It is hard, <laughs> isn't it? Maybe something like... Like, uh, f for me, it might be like, like Morton Feldman and Pantera or something. <laughs> right. Right. It could also be something like Gene Wilder and <laughs> professional skiing, yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> but it has to relate to your music. Right. 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 Yeah. You know, it, it's funny because I was saying how you have very similar things where it's like you, I mean, you love like Morton Feldman and like, you know, septic death or something. <laughs> right. 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 <laughs> Yeah, I think I think about what I listen to. It's like I listen to not that very much music mm -hmm. <laughs> and I tend to especially like I mean, I tend to fixate on something for a, a period of time. And like like a couple of years ago, uh, we know a tuba player who lives in Tokyo and he has a, a band called Music for Isolation and it's tuba and baritone saxophone. And it's all like medieval Christmas songs. <laughs> Really? <laughs> yeah. And it's really slow and really minimalistic and quiet. And I love it so much. And like, he just sent it to me randomly kind of, um, it was very different from his other music that I'd heard. And I just love it. And I listen to it all the time. But like, I don't know what the opposite of that is. You know what I mean? Like, it kind of just feels like a if you spend enough time with something, I mean, I loved it the first time I heard it, but there's there's music that once you spend a certain amount of time with, that time becomes its own thing. You know, sure. it's like yeah. that investment pays you back by you you know every little sound. You know when that police siren's gonna come in and that mm -hmm. you know in the background in that field recording or whatever, you know. And it's like, and it doesn't matter if it's uh if it's uh I don't know. You just develop a relationship with it. So I, right. I feel like, I mean, I have a bunch of records like that. I, I really love uh, Funky Kingston by Toots and the Maytals. And I mm. 
I mean, I was obsessive. I listened to nothing else for years. <laughs> really? And it's completely like, I don't, I, it's not like I thought about it when I was making music. I thought about it when I was cooking. You know, I didn't yeah. think about it. I just put it on and like listen to it yeah. over and over again. And it's like, I love that record and I'll never make anything like it, you know? But I don't know. I have like a sort of body of stuff like that that I go back to and love. Right. I too, quote unquote, over listen to stuff. I let it sink in and it doesn't come out for a long time. Well, I don't even know if it, I know it comes out, right. but it's like, what is that? You know, right. it could be 10 years later, that yeah. Toots record that I listened to for right. 2022 only or whatever. But yeah, it, I have a similar experience just kind of focusing on, on something. Right. Well, congratulations on this new record, Miracle Level. Thank you. I was just on a trip and every chance I got, I was listening to it. And one day I was driving and this is not uncommon for me, but I got, I was headbanging or something at the stoplight and teenagers made fun of me. <laughs> I think it's that's, happened that's with Deerhoof terrible. more often than any other band. Oh, really? <laughs> I might've been air guitaring, who knows? But yeah. Yeah. But um, I, that's awesome. I love this record. I love, I love all the records, but this is this one. Um, I don't know. It sticks out a little bit for me, and I, I'm not quite sure why. I might know in 10 years, as I was saying. Right. But um, I'd like to talk about the recording process, but but first, where were you all at the onset of writing this record? Um, what was your headspace? Where were you physically? Where What was going on with Deerhoof? Well, we were all... I don't even remember when we started writing it, but it was like, probably there was when we were finished with actually you can, I mean, it's just kind of everybody goes their separate. I mean, this was pandemic, so everybody was already separated. Um, but you know, people start slowly gathering, um, little ideas here and there and stuff. And, um, and then eventually I moved here to Minneapolis a year and two weeks ago or something. And then everybody came here to rehearse, which was really fun. Our first guests. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Okay. So you're all you were all spread out, and then you uh, you decided to get together in in the middle, uh, start writing and rehearsing the tunes, and uh, and then you did the weirdest thing Deerhoof's ever done, and you decided to uh, work in a studio with a producer. I don't know if you've completely self-produced every record, but I do know that you certainly haven't done full records, worked with a producer ever, right? Yeah. The, this is the first time just start to finish where we went in, tracked, mixed, and Mike ended up mastering it as well. We've done, you know, we've been into recording studios many times, but it would be the kind of thing where we would go in for a day or two, just like kind of blast through everything and then take it home. Yeah. Um, is usually how it worked. Or we would sometimes use the studio for just vocals or to do reamping and stuff for a right, day, yeah. that kind of right. thing. And so you went up to Manitoba to the No Fun Club and uh, worked with Mike Brodowski. And um, again, I want to talk a little bit about the recording, but first I want to play My Lovely Cat and see what this yielded. One of my awesome. favorite songs on the record. Here we go. <laughs>
Yay. <laughs> Yay. So you're in the studio with Mike, I guess, collectively for the first time. What were your first feelings or thoughts once you started rolling? Um, you know, it was uh, the first moment was just kind of like, for me, at least personally, it was like more like curiosity of just like, you know, how are we going to do this? Like, what what is mm-hmm. what is about to happen? And and uh, and we got there and we just, you know, walked around the studio and and um, just like looked at the amps and, and the at the different guitars and just kind of like it was we, we pretty much immediately went into like setup mode because we wanted to just have like a single setup where we, we wouldn't change things around during the, the process. So we were just like trying to figure out exactly like what was the best way to do this and and uh I, I think that was the first stage and then and then we met Mike and then that was great because you know we had spoken with him a bit before and and the whole thing happened because uh Carl who runs our label Joyful Noise they mm-hmm. he's old friends with Mike and he he had envisioned that we would be a great match and really click it wasn't just like a blind date it was you know this was a like a setup by a close friend who right. who knew us both really well so um, it was a pretty shocking how quickly and it was comfortable and it felt like it was going to work, you know, and it was just, there was no real like sort of red flag moments of just like, this guy doesn't see where we're coming from. This guy doesn't understand like what we're trying to do. It right. was just, you know, a complete bizarre connection from the get go. And for me, I think, once once that happened and stepping back and seeing what a a great match it was then it sort of hit me like that that there was a possibility that it might not have been one you know like then right. the reality of like oh my god yeah, if I this was the same a person we could have really screwed ourselves over by doing this it was just like so it was it, yeah. a, a sense of like being thankful and this relief that i didn't even realize you know that it could have gone so i i went into the whole thing just completely you know rose-colored glasses like that it was going to be good and and everything was going to work out and we were going to make a great record and nothing you know nothing was going to go wrong right i guess it's like so many things in your life when something does go you know (laughs) wrong then you realize you know (laughs) you were living in some weird fantasy world but we stayed in that fantasy world the whole time which is good (laughs) good good yeah i kind of feel like um i mean first of all personally just like we instantly hit it off and it was kind of like oh that's always great yeah, the night before we went up to Winnipeg, everybody came through Minneapolis and it was Mike's birthday, right? Yep. Yeah. And so we, we did a birthday dinner for Mike and Mike, you know, it was like our first experience hanging out with him, you know, and it was like, okay, this is going to be, this is going to be easy. But then of course, it's a, it's another thing entirely because when you're in the studio and you're having to, you know, like mesh aesthetics and all this stuff, yeah. like yeah. Um, ideas about sounds and things and his skill set just complemented what we were doing perfectly. Right. Yeah, because I imagine over the years working without a producer, you, the four of you on some level are all driving the the bus and like jumping in the seat for a second and jumping back. And, you know, there's a lot of things with producing and recording your own records that is time consuming and mentally consuming. And you find the right things to let the producer take over or engineer to take over for that, then you can possibly have a, a little bandwidth to, to stretch out. Did you get that sense that you could, with going just like basic, just, I don't have to plug all these mics in, <laughs> you know? 
I mean, I totally felt that way. Yeah. I mean, it was a, the greatest possible joy to not be doing a lot of that stuff. There was also somebody else doing engineering as well, um, Riley Hill. And basically, it was so great. Like, right. and we, and also we could brainstorm like, like weird ideas for routing and stuff and like, oh, we should try this like weird stuff. And, and, um, and the, the fact that like there were other people, smarter people than us like <laughs> processing all this data and like yeah. well this is the best way to do this yeah. and um and basically leave for two hours while we figure it out yeah um, and um yeah i mean it was fantastic and and so we could really focus on just like getting good performances and not being exhausted when we started recording and i don't think we've ever had that experience to that degree yeah and and i th i think a lot about producers and i am pro producer and i am sometimes just anti producer just because over the last 10 years i'd say there is a little bit of a culture of a lot more producers that their role is their agenda they bring the artist in and and that's kind of it and this sounds like the kind of relationship that i love and and really celebrate and i think what a uh, producer should do from my perspective right uh, work with the band I think also he was extremely receptive before we started recording as well to like basically, you know, part of our process for getting ready for this record, which is different than I mean, we always plan and stuff, but it was an, another thing where we knew we had this period, whatever we did had to go in and it had to work. So we we had a lot of quite specific ideas about how we wanted to like specific in terms of technical stuff. But like we we wanted to come up with sounds like interesting sounds that we could uh, count on, you know, uh -huh. like, and, and, um, you know, we knew they were going to have fancy guitars and then, and fancy amps, but we wanted to make sure that we came in with an idea that was bigger than that, you yeah, know, right. <laughs> that was integrated with our idea for the record and that kind of thing. And, and he was a hundred percent receptive to all of that. And, um, I don't know, it was great. It was, you know, a full collaboration. It's just, it was yeah. as if he was in the band and we were working on this thing together. So, did you do anything that you hadn't done before? Was there any wild guitar setups or was anything surprising while you're in there? We did. <laughs> we basically like we we had our normal setup where, you know, going through pedals and stuff. And, yeah. you know, everything would be routed to a different room with amps and stuff. But then we we wanted, you know, in the demos, I don't have it with me, but I have this tiny little guitar that's like, you know, it's like t tiny. It's like this big mm -hmm. um, electric, and, uh, tiny electric guitar. No, it's oh. an acoustic. It's a, like it's like a toy, basically. Okay. I got it at a market in France like many, many years ago and um, with nylon strings on it. And like I had written everything like I really love writing on it. It just forces you like it's it, there's the intonation's horrible. It like that won't stay in tune. And it's just great for like, you know, I, I find that imperfection like that makes it much easier to write. Sure. And so I had written a bunch of stuff on that and just, you know, recorded it with a microphone. And then I, in Pro Tools, I would add, you know, amp simulators and stuff just for fun and see yeah. what it would sound like. And, and then, so when we were at the studio, we thought, well, maybe we could try to achieve a similar effect using, you know, hollow electrics. Oh. And then we put, we, we put, um, Mike put like pencil mics on those. Is that what he used? I can't remember what we ended up using to mic them. But um, I, I think he ended up just going with these with these old dynamic. Um, but I'm, yeah, um, I, he used he just kept sw swapping out mics. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> and then we run that basically 
into into the amps in the other room and then basically distort them like you would a normal guitar amplifier and then um so we, all, all the guitars on the record are this blend of the mic sound and oh um, okay the, the amped amped mic sound with the the our regular kind of amp sound oh neat yeah it was it was a real pain in the ass it was for, yeah. for, for them to, to make this whole thing work and like yeah you, you'd open the like because you know where it's where it, i mean this is like you know the rooms are incredibly well isolated and stuff but mm-hmm. you'd open open the door to the other room and it's just like <laughs> the amps start feeding back and it's like the amps are like two rooms away you know it's like everything's like wide open you know and like it's extre- i don't know it was quite funny yeah no, normally you know normally there was the, the the large room that was you know had the more like river brent sound you know really often the band will set up in there and then they put the amps in the in the enclosed dead room you know to get the real dead sound me john and satomi all crammed in the smaller dead room put all the amps in the big room so in that room it was john and i each had two amps one with the with the mic acoustic sound one with the actual uh, electric sound a divider down so but all of those were go- like all four of those amps uh, we're going at the same time with another amp on the other side of the room that was that both signals were being fed into so wow. it was the two guitars into one amp like fighting for the same frequency right and, and then in the middle of all that those amps there was the the room mics and stuff so he, he was getting both the close mics of of our sounds and 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 the in this room mic of like all these different amp, like things Jesus. combined like something you could never do with at home with any any sort of plug <laughs> i forgot about the one with with both our guitar well, our, yeah the, that and you know was, that was with, with the microphones going into it right yeah so it's you know and, and really often you know especially the stuff where john and i were kind of playing close together mm-hmm. thing where it's the two so like overly distorted guitars both fighting God, for that's the same crazy frequencies, you know and so it's just it like the greatest just, like i i would love to just get that um uh, to get the <laughs> You know that particular stem of just that amp it's just the most fantastic yeah. sounding thing oh my god we, we've, been, we've been talking about that forever because you know we, we every once in a while you do well well you know like like we, we we have these sort of unrealistic tour goals where just be like man if we could just tour with one amp sure yeah yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. and uh and and so we had been talking about that for years but we always love that idea of just like you know, just just when that happens, when you have too much information going into one speaker and every all the frequencies are fight and all these different you know things are are popping out that you that you would never expect. It was yeah. just yeah, especially when you're distorted. Like yeah. it's it, we were playing these old like '60s you know like um like hollow like semi hollow, but you know I was playing an old airline and everything, and you mm-hmm. know those guitar those pickups sound so incredible in the first place. You know, it's just. Those those distorted, like maxed out, just fighting. It was just, it was incredible. Wow, that sounds <laughs> that's amazing. Good, that yeah. really is. Yeah. That's brilliant. Yeah. And to your guitar playing, real quick, um, I can remember. I don't remember what city I was in, but I remember the room when I first saw Deerhoof with you two in it. You know, that was a long time ago, but I remember, I remember that day, and. Um, <laughs> I was very impressed, and what's even more impressive is like my experience with every Deerhoof record is when I put it on, I'm impressed with your guitar playing again, again, and I mean impressed like it truly the the meaning of impressed it sticks with me, and this morning I was listening to my lovely cat while I was running and I was like, 
same experience as the first time I saw <laughs> you guys play together. And to my ears, I'm not a guitar player, but you know, you're in stereo sometimes with different sounds playing the same thing. You're in stereo playing two different things. And you create this sort of audio spectrum and sometimes you're playing the same riff and it almost does this automated fade live even it feels like that and you're it's like one guitar all of a sudden but it's a giant guitar right or it's yeah. small loud guitar it's you really create this audio spectrum and i'm just oh, wondering when you're writing the record do you get together separately and work out your parts and are you thinking about live are you thinking about just the recording or just what sounds cool to you well for this record we we were thinking about live in the sense that we just we wanted to be able to go in and just run everything down in the time it took to play the song yeah you know because we, we didn't know how everything was going to go and we didn't you know what if like we get into mixing and all of a sudden there's issues you know we just didn't know what it was going to be like yeah. so i mean so a lot of our preparation was to to be able to just kind of go in and and nail it though when we were rehearsing in minneapolis i mean we were just running the guitars and amps we didn't have all these like fancy sounds and um and all this we just uh i mean it's kind of like uh it's like when you play south by southwest or something and you have to play you know seven shows in 24 hours and like if you're prepared like if you're tour you know ready you know yeah. you can kind of go into that situation and sort of make the most of it and basically um make it happen you know and and in terms of like direct preparation for the guitars i just feel like i don't know ed and i have a way of playing together over the years and and um it kind of even going way back i think often it was like one big guitar kind of vibe mm -hmm. like we would often be trying to because you know you'd have these like Ed was talking about like him like writing these like yeah 90 seconds of unrepeating guitar stuff and like the sometimes it's like we would come together for unison things and then it's like separating out and all this you know and I feel like um that was often the what we were whether or not we even discussed it that was kind of what we were going for probably okay. yeah I feel like we're every record that we do it's kind of like there's there's not a full reset but there's but it, there's like things that are really like influenced by the last record or mm -hmm. like you know like like oh i really enjoyed this about the last record oh hey i've been like before we even start writing we'll like talk for like a month about like hey the, and and send things back and forth it's like this is what i've been listening to this is the music i really love right now yeah. this is the you know and 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 we'll kind of come up with like a concept of the like before we even start right and then and like some people might have material already written and then they'll just start reworking that material to fit like the way that we're talking about having it delivered right and and there's never been like a consistent thing you know like this album we knew how we were going to do it so we prepared the material to exactly like john's saying is just like like well what what is unique about this experience it was that we were going to be in a room together playing it in this set. So we, we, we wrote stuff thinking like that, that's how it's going to be recorded. And we prepared the material to be able to play it like simply quickly. And, you know, as directly as possible, like we were also thinking about like, okay, well we have two weeks. That's the deadline. It's everything's got to be done. We're going to need time to mix. 
well, we don't want to be switching between, well, let's, let's, let's just have it where it's the same sound on the entire album. Yeah. Like we're just playing the same amps, you know, that'll cut down on this. Let's, let's, let's figure out, let's not, you know, cause like we were, we had talked about that. Like a lot of bands tendency is, is to like, oh, we get to be in a studio for the first time. What do they have there? Oh, they have vibraphone and, yeah. and like this, like, oh my God. Okay. You know that I, I've been guilty of that like where you're going to a studio and you look and like, and they're like, Oh my God, there's a Mellotron over there. Now there's Mellotron. There. Yeah, you know, like it's yeah, just, yeah. like all these things where you just like get go crazy. And we were just like 100% like avoiding that, you know, just, just going in there with knowing exactly how we're going to do it. And uh, cause we, we've had it where it's just like the way that we were approaching the album, it doesn't matter about playing it live, you know? So we just all record like however we want to record and do whatever, let's do it all on keyboards. And, and then we've had it where we've done a full album. And then at, after the album's done, we're like, can we actually play any of these songs? Yeah, well, no, right. we can only play two of them. Yeah. So we'll play those two live and we'll never play the other songs yeah. live. Because we can't play them because there's five guitars on it or, yeah. or, you know, like that kind of thing, or it's on piano, you know, it, it drives a lot of people crazy that things are constantly changing and an al- and one album might be totally different from the last, but it's, I think the, like the people that like us are there for that ride. And it is a thing where it's like, it's happening not because we're trying to stay relevant or we're trying to get, capture new fan or anything. It's just a thing of like, we're trying to stay engaged and actually like, have fun with this still you know? right like, and i think that's why we're all actually still doing it is because we sort of have that thing of like hey is everyone enjoying this what does everyone want to do now you know right and it's like no yeah because that that's one thing i wanted to ask you you no moss grows on deer hoof you know <laughs> you, you you um you know from record to record you're always changing you're also always doing something and the four of you have found each other and you all have that same forward motion energy, it seems like to me. I mean, in a way that was somewhat already happening. And then we all also kind of moved away from each other, mm-hmm. um, whatever that was, 12 years ago or something. And it sort of pushed that even more in the sense that like we would find that we would be getting together to work on a record and like we would be in four very different places. And, you know, just like in terms of what we were thinking about and what we were doing and also just like what's going on in our lives. It's like, you know, crazy stuff is always happening in everybody's lives. And like, so I feel like I, I just feel like the the sort of constant change is sort of in a way it's us trying to rein in, <laughs> rein things in and in, into a, a something coherent for each record because we're all kind of like, you know just staring off into space and right. having completely different ideas about uh, what we want to be doing. And and so it's like, in a way, it feels like we're having to limit a lot more than like, if we just went with every impulse the band had, it would be insane. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Parameters are good. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. Yeah. Parameters. Uh, actually, you know, there my philosophy is parameters keep you moving forward. Right. It's kind of like the ski, those toboggan toboggans. Yeah. <laughs> Keep you on the track. But little known fast. fact, there's the, um, we just had the, um, the, the United States championships, um, <laughs> of the pond hockey. You did? Yeah. Just like very nearby on a lake nearby. Did you go? We, we went over there and it was freezing cold and um, <laughs> weird. And yeah, it was weird. And um, and it was between games. So it was just like a bunch of hockey players standing on the side, like talking. Yeah. 
Uh, I hated it. <laughs> I didn't like it at all. Oh. It was crazy though. Actually, it turned 10 a.m. while we were there. And there was like this announcement. It's like, everybody, if, if this is the moment you're waiting for, the bar is now open. Oh, right. 10 a.m. Yeah. This is kind of like, wow. Yeah. I mean, they go hand in, they've got to go hand in hand. I guess so. and, it's yeah. 10 a.m. somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> All right. Well, again, congratulations on this record. You you have plans to tour, I'm assuming. Yeah, starting very soon. Yeah, All right. Yeah. U.S. Like a month and a half. Europe. Asia. Yeah, we'll be up in the. We'll be up by you in in Seattle. Yeah. 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 Okay. I'll be there. Be great to see you. Yeah, it'd be great <laughs> to see you. And then one last thing I want to say is, if you can consider this between the now and the next Deerhoof record, you two get all the Tacoma records. Kotki, Fahey, listen to them. Start listening to them now. In between yeah. the next record, just you two. <laughs> Acoustic record, hard pan stereo. I'll produce it. I was, I was, uh, when I, I was at my mom's just recently. And I looked through my old, my old stack of tickets, and yeah. there was several like uh, Leo Kotki and Michael Hedges and all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just, I mean, your own version, of course, but uh, yeah, yeah. It just dawned on me the other day. I just like had my head in your guitar playing, and I was like, uh, I wonder if they ever even delve into that department. Yeah, it would be yeah. fun. All right, yeah. thanks for doing that. I'll talk to Carl. I'll get on the okay. phone. With it as soon as I it's get basically done. Um, okay, well, I'll see you guys in May. All right. Sounds good. I might Sounds be in Portland. Thank you so much. I might be in Portland next week. I might bother you, Ed, just for fun. I'm I'm not going to be here, but well, I'll just lurk around your house then. Now that I know you're not going to be there. <laughs> I'm be in Wisconsin. I mean, I am going to be here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, take care, you guys, and again, travel travel safe. You too. Thanks All right. So thanks. thanks.
心。